behind the scenes and so thanks worship team and all the worship teams that are in this church for the, uh, the great way that you lead us into God's presence. I just really appreciate that and I'm sure many people do here as well. So good. Can we give them a clap tonight just as an appreciation for... Yeah. Good stuff they do. Let's just pray together as we normally do. Father, so good to uh, meet with you. So good to be here with all these folk tonight and to be a body of your people that meet here at Sunnybank District Baptist Church. Thank you for your presence amongst us. and We just thank you for this uh, precious opportunity that you've given us to be able to just turn our eyes upon Jesus tonight and gaze upon him, just leaving everything else behind and uh, putting it to the side and pray that you'll help us to do that, Lord. Stuff that might be in our minds about what we have to do when we get home or what we've got to do this week. Uh, help us just to lay it all at your altar tonight and just simply gaze upon you and be filled with your Holy Spirit tonight and just uh, enjoy this occasion with yourself. We want to be, uh, Lord, as it was with Mary, just sitting at your feet listening to your words tonight. We all want to do that, Lord. So meet with us as we uh, commit ourselves to you right now in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, the topic that we're looking at tonight is about the God who bestows new birth. <clears throat> the God who bestows new birth. And if you're thinking about that, perhaps there's a question that comes straight to your mind, and that is, well, what's wrong with my old birth then? What's wrong with the birth that I have now? Because it sort of presupposes a qu that question, doesn't it? It presupposes if, if God's talking about a new birth, well then, does that mean there's something wrong or insufficient with the old birth, with my current birth with who I am now type thing and I think that's an important question that uh, we need to ask because I believe that the way you you answer that question will in fact determine whether or not you pursue this concept that we're talking about tonight that Christ speaks about here in John chapter 3 when he says you must be born again and uh, you'll either consider that this is something that I need to think about here or you'll dismiss it as irrelevant because you're saying to yourself, well, I'm okay, thank you, I, my birth's fine, I, I'm happy. So, but let me invite you tonight to consider what the Bible does say, what God's word says about this very topic. And in particular, we want to look at the words of the Lord Jesus himself as he speaks about this topic of new birth. What's it really all about? <clears throat> it's interesting when you start reading through the commentaries and you're doing a little bit of research in these topics. I uh, found a, Warren Wearsby, I enjoy his stuff. I enjoy what he writes. And uh, he says this about John chapter 3. He says, perhaps the most important chapter in John's gospel is John chapter 3. For it deals with the subject of new birth. New birth. But before we actually look at this text and have a bit of a a play and, and, and unpack some of the things that are in this text, it's important to establish why there needs to be a second birth. Why? Why do we need to consider this? What's behind that? So I think it's important for us to, to perhaps sketch the background, briefly sketch the background as to why Jesus is talking about you must be born again. So travel with me just briefly uh, through the book of Genesis. Always a good place to start is Genesis. 
And uh, someone once said, the book of Genesis is one of the most attacked books in the Bible. And you can understand why when you look at some of these things. Just let me read through with you. I'm not sure if it'll come up on the screen, no. Uh, but just listen, if you've got your Bibles, your iPhones, or whatever you're using that's got the scripture on it, you might want to follow. But otherwise, just listen. I'm reading from Genesis chapter 2 and verses 15 to 17 initially. The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge, sorry, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Down to Genesis chapter 3, 4 to 7. Chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was there with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they realised they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Verses 8 to 11. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I think he's still asking that question today to a lot of people. Don't you think? Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid. First time you see the word afraid in the book of, in the, in the scriptures. Isn't it sad? He answered, um, he answered, sorry, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And from this act, this act of disobedience, sin was born into the whole of a human race, which in turn infected and affected creation, and which resulted in what God said would happen in Genesis chapter 2, 17, and that was that humanity would die. On the day you eat of it, you shall die, and that's exactly what happened. And die we did spiritually and physically but God I love the fact there's always a but God but God in his amazing love in his grace and in his mercy sets about a rescue plan for fallen humanity for Adam's fallen race and that's hinted of of course as many of you would know in Genesis 3 15 so God calls out I'm skipping through this so God calls out from among his fallen humanity one man Abraham and his family who are themselves also infected and flawed by sin and he begins the process of building a new humanity and God establishes a covenant a covenant with Abraham and his descendants he establishes a sacrificial system that requires the blood of an animal to be shed for the forgiveness of the human sinner 
And all this was pointing. Remember what I said last week, it's almost like the prophets were saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Can you see how this is a shadow of the things to come and the things that we now have in Christ? This sacrifice, of course, was speaking about the sacrifice of all sacrifices being Jesus himself on the cross. And, well, of course, this particular sacrificial system that was introduced into Israel was all pointing to the eventual fulfilment of these promises. Promises such as this, for example, from the book of Isaiah when it says this, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Aren't they amazing words? He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I wonder what goes through your thoughts when you read those kinds of words. Have you ever wondered... Let me just put this to you. Have you ever wondered why God went to all this trouble for the likes of you and me? Stand in awe of that. Have you yet been captured by the wonder of it all in your own life? God's salvation plan. He's planned for you, for your life. I touched on this last Sunday night with the question, why would the most high, infinite God of all creation choose to put on human flesh and become like one of us and then come and dwell among us why would he do that and I think the apostle Paul gives a pretty good answer to that when he wrote to the Ephesians which we're going through at the moment uh, in the the morning services Paul gives a good answer and he says this Ephesians 2 3 to 5 like the rest we were by nature objects of wrath But because, there it is again, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Again, how awesome is that? I just wonder too, you appreciate the fact, did you know that God doesn't really need you or me? He doesn't need us. He loves us. He doesn't need us. He can get on quite okay and has been for eternity and can for eternity get on quite okay without you and without me. He doesn't need us. Flip it around. But how much we desperately need him. We desperately need him. Every breath you take Every beat of your heart is beating because, if you like, the God of creation gives it permission to beat, gives you permission to breathe your next breath. That's how absolutely dependent we are on him. Awesome. Dr. Carson, D.A. Carson, he puts it like this. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to be morally transformed or else we will just keep on rebelling again and again. We need all the effects of sin somehow to be reversed and overcome. That includes not only our relationships with one another, but death itself. Otherwise, death 
just keeps on winning. This is still a decaying universe. There is, there is still betrayal, disappointments, pain, sorrow and death. And I guess quite simply, we need life. We need life because since Adam, all of humanity is dead in transgression. And as the scripture has said, and by nature, by nature, we are all objects of wrath. Not a good place to be. And God saw that that was not a good place to be, so he did something about it. But hear the word of God this this evening. Romans 3.23 says this to us. And folks, these are good verses to memorise. If you're talking with someone in the street, if you guys are talking to your friends and they say, yeah, but I'm basically a good person. I do a few things wrong. But basically, I think I'm pretty good. You know, won't God accept me because I do more good things than I do bad things? You'll get those sorts of conversations happening with you and you need to know the scripture. And it's good to memorise them or know where you can go and find them. For example, Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned. Not just some of us, all of us are in that boat. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, one of the more rewarding experiences that I can remember when I worked as an ambulance officer uh, some years ago now, and of course these guys are called paramedics now, and I was talking to a couple of them during the week as a matter of fact, but one of the, 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 one of the more rewarding experiences uh, that I had uh, with the guy that I worked with was the excitement and the joy of seeing a clinically dead person return to life after we managed to zap him with a defibrillator that we carried in the car. And, and, and I've got to be honest with you, that never happened very often. Not, not very often. We would have loved to have seen a lot more hearts beating after that uh, shock with the defibrillator than we ever did. But the ones that we saw were just absolutely amazing. To see the colour return to that dead person's face and, and, uh, and sometimes to see them breathing and, and become conscious again, which were rare. But they were exciting times. And often, of course, a person's heart would stop because they've had a cardiac arrest. And sometimes when they have a cardiac arrest, they will just collapse and they'll bang their head or they might even break their arm. I want you to think about this. Imagine how futile it would be, uh, perhaps even how irresponsible it would have been if we turned up and saw a person in that condition and immediately went and started putting a patch on the head and starting to brace up the arm, put a splint on the arm because the bone was broken and, the cut, there was, and we were dressing all this stuff. But here's this person lying in front of us and there's no heartbeat. What's the priority? How foolish it would have been of us, how irresponsible of us if we had overlooked that part and dealt with the peripheral things instead of getting in there and dealing with the core primary uh, issue that this person had and that was that person had no beating heart. And if we didn't hop in there straight away and urgently try to address this problem that this person had, then death would claim that person. At the moment, we have a little window of opportunity. The longer that's left, then the, the, the greater the chances are that person's going to be irreversibly uh, dead and starts biological death 
and so on. And you know, in the same kind of way, God saw our primary urgent need was life, not the peripheral things, but it was life. We needed his eternal life or certain death would claim us. And that's why I believe that when Nicodemus came to Jesus that night and made that comment in verse 2, such as this, let me read it to you. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs that you're doing if God were not with him. He doesn't even ask a question. He just makes this statement. And look how Jesus addresses it. Jesus saw the primary need of this very intelligent, this very learned and religious man whom Jesus called Israel's teacher was not the peripheral external things or the issues that he was presenting to Jesus. He saw that his primary need was what? He needed his spiritual heart to be beating because he was, at this point, spiritually dead. His heart was not beating. Jesus saw the primary need of this man, and he sees the primary need of every one of us, was not the stuff he was starting to, not the stuff that Nicodemus came out with. Jesus hit the core issue, that he was spiritually dead. And it's interesting, some of the commentators suggest that the reason that John makes a point of saying that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, at night, was also um, <clears throat> symbolic. John wanted to kind of bring out this, this symbolism of Nicodemus's spiritual condition, that he was in the dark. Do you get that? Some would disagree with that, and there's other different reasons for perhaps why he did come to Jesus at night, but it's interesting to consider that one, that Nicodemus was in spiritual darkness, that he was indeed spiritually dead, and Jesus saw that key point his his absolute urgent need and so Jesus immediately recognizes and he responds with this shock to the heart uh, uh, response that he gives to Nicodemus in these words I tell you the truth Jesus says no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again Verse 5, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. In other words, Jesus is saying not only to Nicodemus, but he's saying to all of us, he's saying to the whole of humanity, you need a new life. You need the kingdom of God life. Because the life that you currently have has come from the flesh. Flesh gives birth to flesh and that's it. The current life you have has come from the flesh. It's come from your forefather, Adam, and is therefore, it's dead. The life you have is not a life at all. It's it's spiritually dead and things like the external religious practices that we can see even today and that Nicodemus was caught up in so external religious practices things like ritualism the whole philosophy of salvation by works if I just be a good person if I do too, if I do so many good things surely the balance will weigh in that 
in that area rather than in bad things. If I do good things, hopefully I'll outweigh the bad things and God will accept me. That salvation by works mentality which Nicodemus had and that was what, that was what the whole of the Pharisaic religion was about. The external. These kinds of things. It does not. These things do not translate into eternal life. They just don't. These things do not translate into you or me entering the kingdom of God. There's a uh, verse in the Old Testament. Just come to mind. I can't remember exactly what it says, but it says, all your righteous deeds are but filthy rags. So the people who think that they can please God by the righteous things they do, you need to see those scriptures. See, God looks at the heart. doesn't look what's in your hands. He looks at your heart before he looks what's in your hands all your righteous deeds are but filthy garments before God doesn't mean anything to him if you have not Jesus who gives you life then it's futile uh, Pastor Darrell was talking about that this morning brilliant stuff uh, and it was, it was good to, to be here this morning so he's talking about those similar things being born again as Jesus speaks about does translate you into eternal life gives you eternal life translates you into the kingdom of God and it's what you desperately need if you want to live and no longer be as Paul talks about us being objects of wrath do you get that tonight it's probably fairly serious stuff isn't it very serious stuff we're talking about here here's a question so how does all this happen how does all this happen for us you see this is how Jesus explained it to Nicodemus Explains it brilliantly, of course, as you'd expect Jesus to do. And because Jesus was, sorry, because Nicodemus was well versed in the Old Testament, he would have started to pick up where Jesus was coming from. He would have started to understand what Jesus was trying to say to him. Because Jesus says these words to him Just as Moses, this is verse 14 and 15 of John 3, just as Moses lifted up the, up the snake in the, in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And Jesus was referring to the account, of course, in, in Numbers 21, where, in, where, where the Israelites who had escaped uh, their slavery in Egypt under Moses' leading, and they were being led by Moses in the wilderness, and it goes, to, and it goes that particular passage goes like this. You like, you follow with me. In Numbers chapter 21, just a short passage, but this is what it says. Speaking about the Israelites who were wandering under Moses' leadership in the desert, they travelled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water. We detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. 
When, the pe- when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. What an amazing little story right there in the middle of, of that, uh, that whole episode that was going on there in Numbers. You see, the one and only, what, you, what I want you to try and see in this is that the one and only solution to this snake-induced death that was going on here was nothing less than a clear-cut miracle from God. It was a miracle, nothing less than that. The only way for these Israelites to be saved from certain death was by them exercising their faith and their obedience in what God told them to do. And that was, if you get bitten by a snake, then look to that bronze snake up on the pole and you'll live. So they had to exercise that faith and that obedience to live. Those who said, ah, what a lot of rubbish. What do you think happened to them? If they didn't look, they died. Simple as that. Take on God's provision, you live. Deny God's provision, you die. It's black and white, really. And it's a miracle. Nothing magic in the stake or the pole. It was just simply them doing what God told them to do. (laughs) And it's similar to what we are talking about today. The only way, as Jesus explained to Nicodemus, for humanity to be saved, the only way, not one of the ways, there's one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He is the one and only way. There's no other way to the Father except through Christ. And that's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. There's only one way for humanity to be saved from certain death. And to receive eternal life is to look to him. To look to him. He's the son of man who was lifted up on a large stick called the cross. A cross-shaped pole the cross of his crucifixion. He's that one. He was the fulfillment of that snake on the pole in the wilderness. That was speaking, of course, to Jesus on the cross. Whereas anyone who, everyone who looks to him and believes on him will be saved. As did the thief, right? There's a fantastic example right there. One of those criminals who looked to Jesus while he himself was on the cross beside Jesus... That was the guy who looked to Jesus and was saved. you get that? He didn't hop off the cross and have to do a whole lot of stuff and recite this and do that and so on to be saved. He looked at Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say to him? I tell you this day you will be with me in paradise. Right there, an exercise of faith and he is saved. Just like that. And in the same way, this is nothing short of a supernatural intervention of God's love and grace toward us, helpless, dying race called mankind. And as I bring this to a close, um, an important note that I want us to, to really take on board here again tonight is that those who are truly born again, we're talking about a miracle of someone who was born again, and this was talked about this morning as well. Those who are born again, folks, their lives will obviously show that they have met Jesus. Their lives will show that you are different to what you used to be. You will be a different person. 
It's a supernatural thing that happens. I don't think we can explain the mechanics of how born again actually works. But all we know is that the spirit of God comes into you. All we know is that scripture that says, therefore, if anyone be in Christ, they are a, a new creation. The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. You are not just a revamped version of who you are. You're not just something that God has slapped something on the original old person. You are a whole new person. What an incredible thing. You're a new creation. And the nature will show that you are a new creation. You'll have a longing for God that you never had before. Does it mean that you're perfect? No, it doesn't. But it means that you'll be troubled when you do the things that you used to do because the spirit in you wants you to be more like Jesus. Jesus wants to live his life in you and through you. And when you're struggling, which we all do, it'll affect you more. Whereas before you met Christ, you just went and did your own thing and you didn't give a hoot. But now you do. Now it troubles you when you sin. Now it troubles you when you don't get it always right because you know it's grieving God and you want to please him. That's the, that's the evidence of the new nature in you. Um, again, um, Carson puts it like this. Where there is new birth, where it has genuinely come from God, you will see transformation. You will see change in the life. That does not mean that people have suddenly reached perfection, and we haven't. And I don't believe we will until we step out of this body into a glorious body with Christ. That doesn't mean that people have suddenly reached perfection. We shall have more Christian growth and Christian failures in due course. But where new birth takes place, there is a change of direction of origin. There is a cleaning up in the life. There is a transformation. There is a beginning of life from God himself that, uh, that shapes our existence in a new direction. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And my dear Nicodemus, he says, and I just want to add a bit there, and my dear friends here at, at Sunnybank District Baptist Church... You cannot see the kingdom, the real power of God, and you cannot enter his kingdom unless you are born again. That's what you must have, he says. You must be born again. And can I just ask as we close right now, is that where you are tonight? I can't not just walk away from this without at least giving you an opportunity. Is that where you are? I've got to ask that question tonight. Are you born again? Do you know what that means? Do you know Jesus personally? So it really means that if you walk out tonight and you die, and that can happen, I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom or anything like that, but the reality is that young people die and older people die. So if you're in that category tonight, will you be with Jesus? Do you have that absolute assurance? That's what I'm asking tonight. And if you don't, would you like to? Is the other part of that question. Because there's people here tonight who just love to sit with you, talk with you, pray with you, and share with you. Before you go home tonight, if you're not sure about where you are with this born-again thing that we've been talking about tonight, make sure it's cleared up in your mind before you go home. All right, there's lots of folks here tonight. Brendan's here, I can see with the youth, and, and other folks are here. Look, yeah, don't go home if you've got question marks about what it means to be born again. Let's just pray together. Worship team, please come and lead us. Thanks. Let's just bow our heads and perhaps just for a couple of moments, just ponder what God's been saying to you tonight. Father, we just stand in awe of you tonight because you are the God who so loved the world that you gave your only son.
that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And Father, your word goes on and says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And Father, tonight we just want to pray that you will see every heart as you do and that you will fill every heart here tonight. May there be joy, inexplicable, great joy as people just surrender afresh to you, Lord, and say, God, here's my heart, it belongs to you. Lord, I just want you to get this heart beating afresh and anew for you again. Or Father, maybe it's for the first time. Just pray for your hand to be upon each one, every one of us that's here tonight and thank you for speaking to us. And Father, help us now to respond to you. And we just ask this for your glory and for your name's sake. Could I just ask, just, just while, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, is there anyone here tonight? If you'd just like to put up your hand and just say, just love you to pray for me tonight, Pastor David. I'd love to do that. Anyone here? Any hands? Otherwise, I'm just going to again encourage you, please see someone tonight before you go home. Bless you. Thank you.